All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the New Testament. The listener's commentary is a crowdfunded, listener-supported Bible teaching ministry designed to help you learn and live the Bible. And what that means is the whole reason the listener's commentary exists is because of you, the listener. It, It exists for you, but also by you through your generous support, your faithful support. So thanks a ton to those of you who support this ministry and make it possible. There's a couple ways you can do that if you want to join the team of supporters. First way is... Uh, you could swing over to listenerscommentary.com. You could click the Give button. It'll take you to a page where you can put in a dollar amount. You can click a little box that says Make This Monthly, and you can set up a monthly recurring donation through World Family Mission, which is kind of this umbrella organization uh, through which you can give your organizations. They're a registered nonprofit, and so there's the benefits of that as well. So that's one way you can do it. The other way you can support uh, the listener's commentary is by uh, jumping into the, uh, the study hub and uh, signing up for the study hub. And uh, again, that's a give whatever you can afford sort of thing. And it gives you access to online courses and other resources to help you uh, learn and live the Bible for yourself as well. All monthly donors, either way, whether you sign up through the study hub, whether you sign up through World Family Mission, both ways, if you're a monthly recurring donor, you get access to all those bonus resources inside the hub. So two ways uh, to jump in and uh, support the listener's commentary. All right. Uh, On this episode, we are beginning our study of what has traditionally been called, at least for the last uh, few hundred years, the pastoral epistles. And the pastoral epistles refers to 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. Those three letters of Paul, 1st Timothy, 2nd Timothy, and Titus, have been referred to as the pastoral epistles for about the last 300 years. And the reason they're called that is because those letters, particularly 1 Timothy and Titus, offer pastoral guidance to two of Paul's co-workers in ministry. Uh, The letter of 1 Timothy offers guidance to Timothy himself, and he's serving in ministry in Ephesus, working with the church there and dealing with some difficulties there. Uh, The book of Titus is written to another one of Paul's co-workers, Titus, and he's serving on the island of Crete. And and Paul is offering really some guidance to them in their ministries in those areas. And, And that's the reason these letters have been called pastoral epistles for at least the last little while. And because these letters are written by Paul to individuals, and not just any individuals, but individuals with whom he has worked in ministry for a a good little while, we see in these letters Paul's affection and Paul's connection with two of his co-workers as he urges them to be faithful and he provides them with instruction on how to guide the churches that they're working with. And he offers a vision to them of pastoral ministry in their specific situations. And so these letters are incredibly valuable for thinking through ministry and issues related to ministry and what it looks like to serve in ministry and serve a church. Now, what I want to do then in this episode is just before we jump into the specifics of 1 Timothy, I want to give a kind of a backstory to the pastoral epistles in general. So that's what we're going to aim for here. And the first thing we need to really recognize is Paul's long-standing relationship with churches in the region of the Aegean Sea, kind of that central area of the Mediterranean world. 
these three letters, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, remind us that Paul had a long and in-depth ministry with the cities in that area. So on the eastern side of the Aegean Sea, that's where you get the city of Ephesus. And when Paul writes to Timothy, that's where Timothy is stationed. And Paul had spent a ton of time and poured a ton of energy into the city of Ephesus and out from Ephesus into the surrounding area. In fact, on Paul's third missionary journey in what is about the mid-50s AD, Paul spent almost three years in this area and pouring his uh, lifeblood into the church there and trying to get it established. And that's because Ephesus was such a, a, a large and influential city in Paul's day. And so, Ephesus is where Timothy's at, and he's working with the church there, and Paul's encouraging Timothy when he writes the letter of 1 Timothy to him. Across the sea, on the western side of the Aegean Sea, uh, we get the regions of Macedonia and Achaia. And Paul, again, spent a good time amount of time with them on his second missionary journey. So the eastern side was the third missionary journey in the mid-50s. But in the early 50s, on Paul's second missionary journey, he was on the western side of the Aegean in places like Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Athens and Corinth. Those are some of the major uh, church uh, plants that Paul served on the second missionary journey. And so... Almost a decade of Paul's ministry has been spent in the Aegean region uh, during his early kind of travels, the second and third missionary journey. And now we're, we're about, a, you know, eight to ten years after that time period, and he still has co-workers stationed there. And so Paul has spent a ton amount of his ministry energy in this region of the world. And Though we don't know exactly when or how the church on the island of Crete got started, that's where Titus is when Paul writes him, uh, Crete is a large island where the waters of the Aegean meet the waters of the Mediterranean Sea. And so this whole area, this central area, kind of of the Mediterranean world, Paul has just poured a ton amount of his ministry energy into, and it continues here with these letters that we call the pastoral epistles. Another thing that's important to think about when we think about the backstory to uh, these three letters is Paul's history of having various co-workers in ministry. It's easy to kind of forget this and almost think of Paul as this lone missionary out there planting churches, you know, doing the work of the Lord by himself. But Paul didn't operate that way. And when you read Paul's letters and you uh, watch him in the book of Acts, what we realize is Paul routinely and consistently, regularly had a team of co-workers that he traveled with, that he would send out into various places that worked with him, and he taught them and poured himself into them, and he developed them for ministry. And so when we read 1 Timothy and Titus and 2 Timothy, what we're what we're dealing with are two of Paul's long-standing co-workers where he has he has trained them, he has taught them, he's discipled them, he's mentored them, and then he's entrusted ministry to them and sent them out. And now they're serving in ministry in these areas, and Paul is encouraging them and giving guidance and help to them in the situations that they're dealing with. And so uh, Timothy and Silas are two of Paul's key co-workers. And we know a little bit more about Timothy because we see him in the book of Acts. Interestingly enough, 
we don't ever see Titus in the book of Acts. So we don't know when Paul picked up Titus. We don't know where Titus came from. We have very little of Titus's own backstory. We'll talk more about that in the introduction to his letter. But Timothy, we know exactly when he picked him up. And so when we get to 1 Timothy and we tell the backstory to that, we can share a little bit of that story. But all of this just reminds us that Paul wasn't just a lone missionary doing his own thing, that he had people that he was discipling and teaching so that they could disciple others and pass on the faith to other people. And so as um, N.T. Wright and Michael Bird describe it, when we read uh, the pastoral epistles, what we see is Paul the mentor mentoring younger people in ministry who are now serving in places where he can't be, and he's multiplying his ministry by being a mentor to them. Another important question related to the backstory of the pastoral epistles is, where do they fit into Paul's life and ministry? Where, where does 1 Timothy, Titus, 2 Timothy, where do they all fit into Paul's life and ministry? And that's actually a challenging question to answer. And the reason it's challenging is because it's almost impossible to see how these letters would fit into what we know about Paul's travels in the book of Acts. So where do they fit? Uh, and we, we have to be honest that even though we don't know exactly, we can't tell from what we see in Acts where they would fit. Acts doesn't give us a complete account of all of Paul's travels. It just doesn't. For example, Paul mentions in the book of Romans. Romans was written from Corinth um, on Paul's third missionary journey. And so it was written around you know, 57, 58-ish, right? During that three months of wintering in Corinth before Paul traveled back to Palestine uh, or to Israel at the end of his third missionary journey. Well, Paul mentions in Romans that he had traveled all the way about into Illyricum preaching the gospel. But we have no record of that in the book of Acts. Um, and so w we don't know when Paul made that trip. Uh, it seems like it's probably in concert with him sending 2 Corinthians down to the Corinthians with uh, Titus and then Paul taking some time while Titus gets the ministry sorted out in Corinth and he's up there in kind of Macedonia preaching while well, he must travel to the west up into Illyricum. That's probably where it fits. And it's possible that maybe 1 Timothy was written then. And Paul's Timothy, he left Timothy in Ephesus perhaps and he wrote back. It's possible, but we don't know for sure. And so Acts has gaps and it's possible it could fit somewhere maybe into the gaps in the book of Acts that we don't know about. And, and although we tend to group these letters together into one group of the pastoral epistles, there's nothing to say that they, they have to be grouped together in the same span of Paul's ministry. I mean, maybe that's when 1 Timothy was written and maybe Titus was written then too, or maybe it was written at a different point, right? Like, so there's gaps in the book of Acts and, it, and that could explain why we can't figure out where 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy all fit into Paul's ministry. But what we do know um, is it, it sure seems that 2 Timothy is the last letter Paul ever wrote, and that's the earliest tradition of the church. We'll talk more about that in the backstory to the letter. Um, and what 2 Timothy seems to indicate is that Paul was released from his incarceration that's mentioned at the end of Acts, and then resumed ministry after that. And at least some of that ministry was done in the Eastern Mediterranean. Um, Paul had planned originally, if you remember the chronology of Paul's life, Paul had originally planned 
um, to wrap up ministry in the Eastern Mediterranean, go visit Jerusalem for Passover and Pentecost, and then sail to Rome. And then from Rome, what his hope had been was to use the church in Rome as a launching pad for ministry to the Western part of the empire, all the way out to Spain, if he could. That's what he had hoped. And you can read some of that in Romans chapter 15, verses 22 through 25. That, that's what Paul was aiming at. Didn't work out. Because Paul got arrested when he went back to Jerusalem. He did end up in Rome, but he ended up in Rome as a prison. And so the book of Acts ends with Paul in prison. Well, 2 Timothy seems to indicate that Paul got uh, was released from that imprisonment, had further ministry that at least involved some of the churches there in the Aegean region, the, the area of Ephesus, maybe Troas, and some of that region, and at some point got rearrested for a second imprisonment, one that was a whole lot worse and that eventually led to his execution. That seems to be what we, we can kind of piece together from all of that. Now, what we don't know is, did Paul ever, if he got re-released, travel all the way to the west to Spain or not? Uh, there is some tradition in the early church that hints at that, that suggests that. And so it's quite possible, maybe when Paul got released from that imprisonment that's recorded in Acts, he did sail to the west, had a brief period of ministry to the west, and then came back to the heart of his ministry here in the Aegean region, and then was rearrested. We don't know for sure uh, how it all played out. We do know that the uh, situation that was widely believed in the early church was that Paul was released in the early 60s, made eventually at some point made his way back to the Aegean region and was rearrested in the mid 60s, 63, 64, 65-ish, kind of in that time period. Um, And that second arrest eventually led to him being executed in the city of Rome. And so the most common reconstruction in answer to our question, where do these fit into Paul's life and ministry? The most common answer to that question has historically been throughout church history. Well, they fit into that time period after Paul was released from his first imprisonment and then leading up to and into his second imprisonment. So 1 Timothy and Titus would be written in the three or four years between uh, Paul's two imprisonments, and then 2 Timothy would be written during his second Roman imprisonment. More on that when we talk about the backstory to each of those letters. Now, the final question we need to answer when talking about the backstory to the pastoral epistles is this. Were the pastoral epistles written by Paul? We have to ask that question because some modern scholars uh, answer that question with a definitive no. Uh, They say that these uh, letters were definitely not written by Paul. They were written late in the first century or perhaps even early second century by someone else using Paul's name. That would mean they were written under a pseudonym. That's what uh, a pseudonym means, is being written using Paul's name, but not really by Paul. And there's a number of reasons that have been given by some of these scholars to say that. Um, They say things like, well, the vocabulary in the pastoral epistles is different than Paul's other letters. Unless, of course, Paul wrote these letters, and then this would also be Paul's vocabulary. When you have a very small sample of a person's uh, vocabulary, it's hard to kind of make that case. But that's one of the reasons given. The vocabulary is different. Some say the theology is different in these letters. Oh, the picture of the church is much more developed in the pastorals than uh, what it could have been like in Paul's lifetime. 
my reaction to these kind of arguments by these scholars is that all of these reasons pretty much assume a later date and assume that Paul didn't write it rather than demonstrate it. They haven't demonstrated anything by those arguments. They've, they've assumed that Paul didn't write it and thus that these things aren't for Paul. It, it could just as well be that these actually came from Paul and thus they pro- provide a more thorough picture of Paul's vocabulary. A, a more robust, full account of Paul's th- way of expressing his theology, and a more complete picture of the church in the mid-first century than scholars assume. There's nothing to say that. And so those kind of arguments from these scholars are unconvincing to me. Um, and I think one of the real problems with saying Paul did not write the pastoral epistles is just with the whole idea uh, of... Um, using a pseudonym. Like that entire practice was actually rejected by the early church. So how in the world could these letters ever have entered into uh, the New Testament list of official accepted books if they were written under a pseudonym? Because the early church rejected that practice. And so while the practice of using a pseudonym was well known in the ancient world, it wasn't seen as legitimate or acceptable by the early church. For example, there was a a elder, an overseer in a church in the region of Asia, Asia who was removed from his position as a church leader because he admitted that he wrote uh, a book called The Acts of Paul and Thelica uh, out of love for Paul. So he put Paul's name on it and pretended like it was written by Paul, even though it wasn't. He, he did it because he loved Paul so much that he wanted to write this book. And as a result, the early church removed him from his position as a church leader. Why? Because they didn't accept books being written in Paul's name who weren't really written by Paul. Or another example, uh, a guy named Serapion of Antioch, who was, again, a church leader, he rejected a, a book that had been written in the second century called The Gospel of Peter because he said, Books, this, is, this was his statement about how the early ch- church viewed uh, books written under a pseudonym. He said this, books uh, which falsely use the names of the apostles, we reject. That's the principle. We, the early church, reject books that falsely use the names of, of apostles. And so they rejected this whole practice. And so it's really hard to explain how they could have accepted these three books as authoritative um, and being from an apostle if they were not actually from the apostle Paul. Not only that, these books, the pastoral letters, were known and believed to have come from the apostle Paul in the early church. We see allusions to passages from these letters in Polycarp, writing very early on in the 100s, the 110, 115 era. We see allusions from Ignatians. Clement of Rome seems to allude to passages from some of these letters, and Clement of Rome is writing in about 95, incredibly early on in the history of the church. In fact, the earliest list of official uh, recognized books we have, uh, the Muratorian Canon, it includes these as coming from Paul. And so there is no good reason to uh, assume that Paul did not write these books when those closest to the time period of these books uh, didn't believe that. So why the differences? Well, again, some of the differences that some of these scholars point out are just assumptions. 
For example, a writer can use different language depending on the subject matter, depending on who he's writing to, and all of that. I myself use different language with ministry colleagues or theological colleagues than I do with new believers. Uh, Remember that in these letters, Paul is not writing to churches. He's writing to individuals. He's writing to individuals that he knew super well. I mean, Timothy, by the point he writes this letter, he's worked with Timothy in ministry for 15 years. He's writing to ministry colleagues about their work. He's not writing to Christians in general or the church in general. That's going to change how he speaks. And some of the differences, like the theological differences, just seems to be language that was pertinent to their ministry context. The word Savior, for example, shows up over and over again when Paul writes to Timothy. Well, part of that is because of Artemis being called Savior in the city of Ephesus. And so the language is pertinent because of the context of Timothy's ministry. And so some of these differences really aren't that big of a deal. Some of them are just assumptions and blown way out of proportion. Um, this fact that Paul's writing to co-workers in ministry about their ministry also explains why sometimes the subject matter is unique and different. Even the descriptions of the church is a little bit different. Why? Because this is a ministry conversation about ministry. It's not a general letter to Christians about how to follow Jesus. And so, um, yes, there are, there are some differences by, between, you know, in the pastorals to some of Paul's other letters. But guess what? There are even differences among the pastorals. Uh, Second Timothy has language and vocabulary that's more like Paul's other letters than like First Timothy. And so all of Paul's letters, it's, it's just false to say Paul's letters form a uniform whole of how they talk and how they write and the subject matter and all that. That's just completely false. Paul's letters are all a little, there's variety and there's difference and there's overlap and similarity because Paul is writing to specific people about specific issues dealing with uh, specific topics. And so um, it, it just seems like uh, we should probably go with 1,700, 1,800 years of church history which believe that Paul actually wrote these letters. In fact, the pastoral epistles appear in the very same location that they do in our Bibles. They appear in the same location in the earliest collections of the New Testament books, and they serve effectively to wrap up the collection of Paul's letters by, by portraying Paul as passing on the baton of spiritual leadership to his colleagues and co-workers of ministry. He knows his ministry is coming to an end. And he's he's mentoring and encouraging and giving advice to his colleagues and co-workers in ministry. And thus the early church put these letters in that place, kind of at the culmination of Paul's uh, ministry, to show that, to portray that. Now, the fact is, is each of these three letters, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, each has its own specific situation. And so as we begin each letter, we'll deal with the backstories to each of these letters in turn uh, based on the earliest traditions of the church. What was Paul's situation? And what was Timothy's situation? What was Titus's situation for each letter? We'll deal with each letter in turn as we come to our study of each one of them.